Hello and welcome to another episode of Paving the Way. Once again, I'm Seth Amoa, also known as Essay. I'm here with Kenny Jean-Louis, also known as KJL. And today we're here with, uh, when you talk about Paving the Way for Quebec basketball, his name, it kept coming up. People have been contacting us to get him on the show. And we finally got a hold of him. He was a very, very busy man. He's done a lot of big stuff for not just Quebec basketball, but for Canadian basketball. And uh, we'll get more into him to the interview. Please, everyone, give it up for Peter Yanapolis. If I said that right, hey. I'm sure, yeah. Hey, guys, you did it well. You did it well. Thank you for having me, Seth and Kenny. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. And uh, we finally got the right time to do this. And I'm so excited to be on your show. Okay, appreciate it. Donc, euh, la première question qu'on pose à tout le monde, we ask everyone, is when the passion for basketball started for you? Oh my God, what a yeah. great question. Listen, I grew up in Montreal uh, as a Greek kid um, in St. Leonard, and I played hockey and I played soccer, like everybody else. And, and I love playing those, those two sports. And then I started watching uh, one, one player, and I love him to this day. He's my athletic hero. He goes by the name of Irvin Magic Johnson. Okay. Uh, Lake show, um, you know, the Lakers, number 32. I fell in love with Magic. Uh, I didn't like Larry Bird at the time, but I, I respected <laughs> Larry Bird, and I think I respect him more today. Uh, but those two guys, the rivalry, Celtics and Lakers, I just started loving the game of basketball. And then there's another guy that came a couple of years later, uh, number 23 from Chicago, <laughs> Michael Jordan. And then when I, when I started watching those two guys, Magic against Bird, uh, I was in high school, and my high school was Ecole Secondaire de Roberval. Um, and it was in, in the East End, uh, you know, Papineau, Jean Talot, Metro Fab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in secondary two. And when I was in secondary one, I would watch the team play, um, you know, the high school team. And I, these guys were so good. Uh, and, and the team was full of Haitians. They were athletic. They could score. They had swag. And, and my best friend, his name was Dejan Tonchic. Uh, we were in the same grade. We watched them together. And then we say, hey, man, why don't we try out? And I didn't know how to play basketball. I didn't know anything. But then I tried out to make the team. And then that's where it happened. And oh. the passion just, just went from there. Okay. Did you uh, – you said you played uh, hockey, right? Would you ever thought of, you know, being in Montreal, it's a hockey city. Do you sometimes think about it and you're like, maybe you should have played hockey? Or you're just like, you know what, basketball is the way to go. So – you loved it, so you went. Way yeah, over no, it's, it's a good question, Seth. I mean, I played hockey and a pretty pretty decent level. I was playing like in, in high school. I went up to midget double A, so I was playing hockey at a double A letter, like the highest huh. level, and I was playing basketball. So I would practice when I, I made the team in secondary two, and I played four years in high school. I would practice from three o'clock. We'd get into the gym and stay there till six thirty. I would leave at 6.30, run, take the bus, the Metro, Metro Fab, Vac de Chantelon, Saint-Michel, go to St. Leonard, get my hockey bag, and go to practice, and then, and then play hockey. So, you know, at that era, we played a lot of sports. I know you guys, mm-hmm. too. You know, we were versatile. Mm-hmm. We played a lot of things. But then basketball, when it came to, you know, the next level where I was going to go mm-hmm. to CJEP, I had, yeah. you know, an opportunity to go play Quebec Junior Hockey. But then I got recruited to go play at Champlain St. Lambert, and I just, I just said basketball is the way to go, man. Jeez, okay, okay. Puis, t'as dit t'as été recruté à Champlain. Was that other schools that were recruiting you at that time? Yeah, the, you know, there was two schools. It was Dawson and, and Champlain. And a lot of people don't know this, but I initially uh, accepted to go to Dawson. Cool. Olga Rykak recruited me. Uh, you know, I had the, the Dawson blue shirt, and I went there, and my friends were there. Uh, but when I got there, Man, there was like 15 guys that were recruited. It was a stacked team. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? 
so, you know, we, we went our different ways, Olga and myself, and that's when I transferred after one semester and I went to Champlain. Uh, and then I, I played two and a half years at Champlain. Uh, Joe Evely was the coach and Craig Norman, as you know, uh, was an assistant. Dan Evely was an assistant there too. Played a big role in my development as a player when I played at Champlain St. Lambert. Was the, I guess, the trans transition from high school to CJEP, was it challenging for you or did you adapt quickly? Uh, it's, it's a big level, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, when I played in high school, and I have to talk about my high school, right? My mm -hmm. high school is where um, I became the player that I am, that I was, and the man that I am. And I owe it all to all my teammates, all my brothers that I played with. But there's one guy that I owe it all to, and it was my high school coach, and his name is Vélie Janvier. Vélie Janvier is just an incredible human being. He was a great coach, great leader of young men. Um, he, we used to take the bus after the uh, practices and games because he lived in Anjou. I lived in St. Leonard. And then mm -hmm. just the talks. And my first year, guys, secondary two, I was on the bench. And I was always next to him, just trying to learn, yeah. trying to learn the game. Uh, and he taught me so much about the swag. Uh, you know, he was really uh, a lot with the Miami Hurricanes. He played football at league level. He helped him be Akabatuka, make oh. the NFL. And he used to tell me all these things. And I was just, I was just mesmerized. He was my hero. He was my mentor, my coach. Uh, and to this day, the, the reason, you know, I am now, you know, professionally working in the NBA and doing TV mm -hmm. and all radio, it's because of him. And just the, the attitude, the way we played, we played defense. Uh, we were cocky. Uh, we talked trash, uh, but that's what he taught us. But to be confident but respectful. Um, and then I had a pretty good career. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. at the Roberval, my last year, mm -hmm. I averaged 30 points a game. Uh, I, I was a power forward at first because we had a lot of good guards. But then he said, you know what, my last year, he says, you're going to play point guard. And that's how I developed the skills to, to become, you know, play CJ AAA uh, yeah. basketball. Jeez. And what were you doing every year and every summer to get better? Because yes. You said secondary two, you were not playing, and then secondary five, you were averaging like 30 points. So, what were yeah, you doing that yeah, time to get better? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's free. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a great question, Kenny. Two things. Number one, I watched so much basketball. I would watch NBA basketball. Obviously, Jordan started getting good. Um, you know, when he hit that shot in 1989 against the Cavaliers, down by one double pump over Craig Hilo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had my Air Jordans that my dad and my uncle bought in New York and gave them to me. I put those on. I went to Park Lado Versailles and I started shooting that shot. So I watched a lot of basketball, NCAA basketball. I was just like a student of the game. But where I got really better, guys, is I played in the park. I yeah. played in the park in the East End, uh, in Montreal North, uh, you know, Park Cavigna, Park Hébert, all these, you know, that's where basketball we, we played. We didn't have all these indoor facilities and there was no really a, too much AAU and, and, and be able to practice with trainers. You played in the park and that's where you got good. And, and it was only the strongest survived. Uh, yeah. one, one of my mentors, uh, you know, Big Cadet, he had a tattooed on his arm, only the strongest survived. And then um, we really started getting good in high school. Our team was really athletic and, and strong. But then Veli Janvier started bringing our team to the Black League. And I don't know if you guys remember the Black League. It was in NDG uh, in, in the community center. And it was a league run by Roger McDonald. Mm -hmm. uh, and let me tell you, man, it was tough to play there. It was, and there wasn't too many Greek guys in there, let me tell you. So <laughs> if you were going in there, you, I, I always tell people today, I went in there as a boy and I walked out of there as a man. But yeah, to man. get better... It yeah. was playing in the park, playing in the cages, and just the passion of the game, and I got and I got better as a player. Wow! So you said you you started playing basketball in sec two, and you got recruited, I guess, to go to 
CJEP in Sec 5. So that's what four years of just nonstop basketball. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I don't I don't hear that much. You know that that uh that fast pace getting better. Um, in um at Cham at Champlain, your career there for sure. You had a really good career, as I, I know. Um, how was that? If you could just walk through your career at Champlain. Yeah, no, it was. Listen, it was ultimately one of the best decisions I ever made, and I think Kenny, you know, will understand that. And then so many players that went to Champlain, but. I mean, there's so many good schools, Seth. You know, you're, you made a great decision going to Vanier, right? And, and, and Momo and, and Dawson, there was so many. But at Champlain, yeah. for me, it was just going to a school in the South Shore. And, and I knew nothing about the South Shore. I remember I went to Longay Metro one time in my life. And then I'm like going to school there every day, taking the bus an hour and a half. Uh, but then, you know, a couple of my best friends, Jonas Germana, Marcelin Emil, guys that I played with in high school or against in high school, they were there and we went and we played together. Um, and then it just got better. You know, there wasn't too much tradition at the beginning when I got there. The team was not bad, but guys were flunking out. And then we, we got together one year and, you know, we were seven and one. Uh, my second year there, we were fourth in the country. Uh, Larry Dudevar from, from Sir Winston Churchill, Dawson Community Blues, he came and he fit into that trash talk, that, that swagger. And we went after Momo. We went after Dawson, those guys. They were like, who are you guys? And, uh, I had a pretty good career, uh, you know, playing as a, as a combo guard. And uh, my last year, obviously, you know, was, you know, it was exciting. We, you know, you tried, the league was so competitive, guys. You guys played in it. You know, mm -hmm. I always say CJ basketball is the best league in Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. Competitive, so many good players. And my last year, you know, I was the captain of the team. Uh, I think I was second in assists. And yeah. then Craig Norman uh, became an assistant coach my last year. And he's another guy. And Kenny knows him really well. Um, he took my game to the next level. I think I was averaging like 11 points a game. And then with him, I went up, to, I think, 17 or 18. I scored 40 points in, wow. in my last game of my career. Uh, and it's just, it's just getting better, right? You yeah, just play, yeah. play, practice. It's that work ethic. Uh, and I just love to play. I love going mm -hmm. to practice. I love just having the ball, being with the fellas and yeah. competing. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was, that was my career at Champlain St. Lambert. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you said Craig Norman, he definitely helped my game up. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit how he helped you? Because you said like when he, I guess, came in, he took your game up to the next level. So how did he help you? Because I already know how he helped me. So I just want to. <laughs> well, Craig Norman came the last year and we had an assistant called Dan Evely and he was so good our second year. But then he moved to, uh, to Edmonton, so we needed a new assistant. And then we heard this guy, Craig Norman, is going to come in and be our coach. We didn't know who he was. And the first day he walked in, we were practicing. We were doing some drills, some layoffs. There was no coach, right? And Craig Norman comes in. I guess we were going not hard enough. We were yeah. going soft, Kenny. <laughs> and, he, and he just says, hey, what are you guys doing? Everybody get on the line start running they're doing the suicide and i'm like we're like what what's going on but that was greg he goes you guys think you're gonna beat dawson or Vanny or yeah. mobile playing like that you're not playing hard enough so i was like okay and then we just started having a good relationship i had a lot of talks with him and then he pushed me he helped me you know in terms of he identified my skill set uh and trying to get better you know um i was a physical guard i was a big guard he you know he helped me use my shoulder he goes don't you know go around the contact go into the defensive player's shoulder you hit him and just go straight and just that little thing was like wow I'm just going by guys and or they're getting fouled so mm -hmm. Craig was always uh, on me but he had a lot of confidence in me um, and he's just a great mentor uh, probably one of the the greatest basketball minds not only in Canada mm -hmm. but in North America I think he's a level four he was an all-Canadian player uh, and I just you know 
similar to Veli Janvier in my high school, I just had this bond with him and I would just pick his brain. I would ask him everything about what he did in his career, um, you know, how he played. Uh, he was an aggressive player. So there was just that, that great connection. Uh, and to this day, uh, we remain like very good friends. Okay. Okay. Um, and also you said your last game you scored like 40 points, you said? 40 points, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> It was, il y a sûrement beaucoup d'écoles universitaires qui te recrutaient. Can you talk about, I guess, your recruiting trip, uh, recruiting uh, process? Yeah, um, you know, when I was, you know, my last year, you know, I started, you know, you guys know, right? Your third year in CGIP, you're, you're more mature, mm -hmm. you know, you, you physically, you're at your prime, your peak, and you understand the game. So things were getting better for me. Uh, and Norman was so good. And that game, I think, was at Saint-Foy. And we won the game. And you know how it is when you go play at Saint-Foy. They, they don't like the teams coming out there <laughs> beating them, right, guys? So, uh, you know, I was trashing them to the crowd because we won the game. But I always asked for the tape, and they never gave me the tape. So I'm trying to get that tape, guys. I need that VHS tape. I need to show Faith away. I need to show my son, but it's okay. We'll find it one day, maybe. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of recruiting, the, the recruiting process – You know, some coaches did recruit me. McGill recruited me. Uh, Ottawa U recruited me. And, and I think that those were the two biggest schools. Um, it didn't – I almost committed to go to Ottawa, uh, but it didn't really work out. And, and with McGill, it didn't work out the same way. And Craig Norman actually was like, you know – because there was only four teams that played in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And now there's five. And yeah. as you know, guys, right, that, that's yeah. the one thing that – Yeah, That's tough yeah. for Quebec basketball. You know, if we had eight, nine teams, I think more kids would stay yeah. and play at home. But guys want to go, you know, Seth, you know, Kenny, yeah. you guys did it, right? You, you yeah. want to play against different guys. So I, I wasn't, you know, too, you know, enamored about staying here. But the guy that really changed everything was Craig Norman. Because Craig said that, hey, why don't you – he became the head coach the year after I graduated. Like, right oh, after, he got the head job. And then he's like, why don't you come coach with me? And he hired John DeAngelis that you guys had on. And yeah. you guys know how close J.D. is my brother. Yeah. So uh, Craig said, just come and coach with us. And, I, and he knew that I had the coaching you know, mentality and that coaching hat. And it was a tough decision because yeah. I would have loved to keep on playing. And I would have loved to play university ball. And you guys, you know, you know what that is. Mm -hmm. But that's what life was. And that's the decision I made. In mm -hmm. retrospect, I wouldn't change anything because I'm in, in a perfect situation right now. Yeah. But you always want to play a little bit, you know, and yeah. keep on playing. And I didn't play that because I started in secondary too, right? So yeah. my career wasn't that, that long. But I think it was the best decision because I learned from two of the greatest coaches all time in Quebec and Canada. Uh, I worked under Craig Norman for two years and John DeAngelis was the assistant and then John took over the coach. So uh, that was the trio. Craig Norman, John DeAngelis, and Peter Yiannopoulos. You could ask the guys yeah. how tough the practices were back then, baby. Oh, it was fun. That's great. And, um, and okay. How can you go? It's okay. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about your first year of coaching? Was it hard? Was it challenging? Like, It, it was. It was different because, you know, I was 19 years old, right? Yeah. So I just finished, you know, CGIP. And then, uh, you know, I went to study at Concordia uh, University. I didn't get recruited by Concordia. Um, the coach at the time, John Doerr, I mean, great coach. They had a lot of success, but I don't think he was recruiting too, too many players. So I just, I decided to, to start coaching, but I was going to school. Uh, so I would finish school. I would either take the Metro to go to practice or JD would pick me up. <laughs> Guy Concordia Metro, pick, let's go Pete, let's go to practice, meet, meet Craig. Um, so we were passionate guys, three young, energetic coaches. But 
you know, we didn't have that, that much talent. So mm -hmm. we tried to install work ethic, um, you know, confidence, uh, a platform for success. So it was a little bit difficult because I was mixing, you know, school and being a young player and the guys, you know, they would come and watch me play the year before. Eric Zulu, mm -hmm. Mike Francois, these guys. And then I became their coach, but the relationships are always there. So till this day, uh, those guys, the first two years were tough. We didn't win that many games. I think the first year we won two games, the second year, five games uh, in conference. But those guys paved the way for what mm -hmm. the Champlain program ended up because they put in the work um, to get the program back where it needed to be. Was, mm -hmm. it hard, was it hard to get the respect from other players just because you were so young coaching? Or was it, uh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, Seth, you know, it's who you are as a person and what you have as a character. Mm -hmm. If you're in the gym and you're there, and the one thing about me is I could never be an assistant coach or any coach if I'm not going to be there full time. You know, it's tough being a part time coach because you guys know, right? Yeah. The players, if you're not always there, you're going to respect, you, you'll always respect mm -hmm. the guy that's coming. But if they're not there every single time, through the grind, through the bad times, not yeah. only the good times at the games, right? Yeah. So uh, I immediately connected with the players because I, I would always get there. And the one thing I always had is that passion. I had to be there. I loved the game. Uh, and then I wanted to become, you know, an elite coach. Uh, I never got a chance to play NCAA basketball. It was a dream. Uh, you know, back yeah, then, not as many guys got there. Some really good players in my generation did get there. But I said, you know what, if I don't, didn't get as a player, my dream was to get there as a coach. And ultimately that happened. So okay. uh, I, w I was happy with that. Okay. And um, so you started coaching on 19. You doesn't do so well your first two years. A part of you want to, did you ever want to quit? And you're like, maybe this is not for me because we're not doing good. I just finished, like, I just kind of retired from basketball. Yeah. I'm young. Did you, did you want to quit or? Well, my dad was like, you know, you know, concentrate on school and we need you to get a good job and you should have played hockey because you had more talent in hockey <laughs> than you had in basketball. That was my dad. But okay. <laughs> he was always tough on me on that side. But uh, no, I didn't, I never wanted to quit because one, I loved the guys that I was coaching with. Craig and John and mm -hmm. then two I just love the players you know it's just mm -hmm. you guys know it. it's a brotherhood that that mm -hmm. when you walk into that gym uh and it's not only the practice or the games it's afterwards sitting down you know making those relationships talking about life the jokes uh and sometimes some more serious talk so I connected with my players so much and then after that you know when John became the head coach mm -hmm. and then I I bumped up being you know the top assistant then we said okay you know what we're going to change the game in Quebec. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to change the way CGIP is, is going to be. We're going to recruit the best players and we're going to tell them that we're going to develop them, number one. Uh, number two, we're going to get them a scholarship in the States. And number three, we're going to start winning. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was different. Then we wore our suits. We wore our ties. We were like NCAA coaches. We recruited kids. We went into their, their homes. We met their parents. Uh, and and we, we made it big time. And then yeah. when you came into a game at Champlain on a Friday night, 9 o'clock, yeah. There was four or five coaches dressed in suits. We were serious because this is where, and, and it was fun. It, you know, it was, you know, and, and I think, you know, John said it perfectly. You win when you have the best players, right? And yeah. we recruited the best players, but we recruited players that wanted to be part of this program. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I love the most. And um, sometimes, you know what? I'm, t I'm going to school. I got to do well in school because I got a career that I, that I got to get to. Yeah. And then I'm taking the bus. I mean, I didn't come from a very affluent family. I'm, I'm taking the bus back home. It's an hour and a half. 
Some of my friends are going out, they're going to vacations. And in the summertime, we started taking the team to Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky at an at a, at a AU tournament. So I would drive a, a Pontiac Grand Am one year. We took the bus, 18, the, the car 18 hours. So I'm in Louisville, Kentucky at an AU tournament trying to get our guy's scholarship. And my friends are on vacation on the beach, the Bahamas and Cancun. And that's the decision I made. Yeah. And at the time, I'm like, but you know what? That's the sacrifice that you had to get. And mm -hmm. when I went there, you build relationships. You help your players get scholarships, whether in Canada or the U.S. You see guys develop. And then you meet different type of coaches, NCAA coaches, NBA coaches. So my networking got better uh, and improved. But, guys. That was a vacation for me. You know, you're a Montreal guy and, and you're coaching against USA teams. And how good is it, how good is it guys, when we get to beat American teams, yeah. right? How's yeah. that feeling, Seth yeah. and Kenny, yeah. right? Yeah. There's nothing better. So um, I stayed the course and I stayed with it. Okay, okay. Is there maybe a game or maybe a favorite season for you or maybe like a game against a U.S. team that you guys won that you were like really like uh, I say that like – Uh, tu étais vraiment content, you were really happy to beat that team or be a, a favorite season, like for you, when you were coaching at Champlain at the early, I guess, uh, age? Yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of memories and there's a lot of games that, that changed Kenny, right? Uh, I remember we had a team, Champlain, and we went to Toronto to play in this tournament and it was a North American prep invitational. And there was teams, prep, prep schools from all over the States, There was a team from Toronto called Bathurst Heights. They had Denim Brown, who scored 100 points in the game. He went to UConn. And then they invited us there because we had some good players. So we had Eugene Ambrose. We had Bernard Cote. We had Ruben James Oberg. We had Tommy Archambault. And we played Bathurst Heights. Nine o'clock game in Toronto. The place was packed. And we went there and we beat them. And oh. we beat a stacked Toronto team. And we, they were like, who are these guys? And we're like, we're Champlain. We're from Montreal. And then there was a slam dunk competition. And then there was a DJ and all that. And during the game, guess who was sitting courtside? Tracy McGrady. He was, he was there for the Raptors yeah. when he played at the time. He was watching us. And he was like, all right, respect. And then the slam dunk contest, Tommy Archambault, 6'3", white guy from the South Shore, he wins the slam dunk contest. 360s, he was oh. doing that. So... They were like, who are these guys? So that was a moment where everybody said, okay. And then they started inviting us to all these tournaments in, in Canada and then in the U.S. Wow. Um, so I think that was really one of the first moments that said, okay, you know what? We're legit. And then we, we beat some other American prep schools. Um, one time we went to, you know, the University of Kentucky. We got invited to the Adolph Rall Classic. And we had Bernard Cote who committed to Kentucky. But that year, we had Pierre-Marie Cespedes. We had Mohamed Ashad, uh, Negus McKenna. So we're at this tournament, and it's packed U.S. media. And they, right before the day of the tournament, they ask us, they go, hey, you guys want to play Oak Hill Academy in a private scrimmage? Uh, the coach thinks you guys are a good team. So the head coach was Steve Smith, and they had a guy on that team, and his name was Carmelo Anthony. So Carmelo Anthony we're playing Oak Hill Academy in a private scrimmage and there's about 45 NBA scouts. Oh. And we start the game first quarter. We're up like 26 to 20. They're like, who are these guys? Negus had two alley-oops. Uh, Pierre had a drive and he dunked on a guy on the baseline. And we had that swagger. And Carmelo Anthony was guarded by Ricardo Telemon, who played at Bishops. He held him to four points in the first half. And we're like, man, 
we're going to get the biggest upset. And then second half, your boy Carmelo goes for 32. <laughs> he gets 36 points. We lost by like 18. But it was just the respect factor. Yeah. We're playing everybody, right? And that's where we wanted to change Quebec basketball. And I think, you know, we played a small part of it. And I'm proud yeah. of, of what, we, what we accomplished. Okay. You, um, you and JD, when you guys started, when JD became head coach and you became the top assistant, was it hard to recruit the best players? Because weren't the, weren't the best players like, why should we come to Champlain? What, 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 what have you done? Blah, blah. So, like, how was it to recruit? How did you guys recruit all these players that you, that you had? It was hard. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't yeah. easy, man. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy. We had some good players from the South Shore. Um, you know, I mentioned Eric Zulu. He was a three-time All-Star. Mm. He went to Concordia. He was the leading scorer in all of CIS when he played there. So he, he's a guy that paved the way for mm -hmm. Champlain. Not a lot of people know him, but he was so good. And then there was a school, Centennial College uh, High School, Derek Armstrong, Greg Thompson. You know, they were like university players. Mm. They came to us. And then we started, we said, hey, you know what? We got to start going into the, to, into the inner city. Yeah. I had to, you know, I grew up with Haitians playing at the Roberval. And I knew Henry Barassa Busquets was, was a friend of mine. So we started the pipeline going into HB. And we got Mackenzie DeBrose, Hendy Brutus, Rick Telemann. Uh, and then we started getting Chad Caterson. Then ultimately, you know, we got Eugene Ambrose. And he was so important because 6'5 point guard. Uh, he could do it all, and his brother Kinte was at Dawson. Everybody thought, you know, Olga didn't even recruit him because she knew he was going. Yeah. But what we told Eugene and we told Chad Caters and we told those guys, HP and guys from Dunton, um, we said, you guys can go to Dawson, you can go to Momo, and you can continue being, you know, one of those guys that, that continues their good tradition. But how about you come to Champlain-St-Lambert and you start a tradition that will, that's never been done? you'll be the guys that did this and we're going to do it different. You know, we're going to, we're going to develop you and we're going to turn you into either an NCAA player or a Canadian university player, or just a great person. So uh, those conversations, although now seem easy, there was a lot of work and, yeah. and JD and myself, you know, the best coaches in the NCAA, you know, Rick Pitino, uh, coach Ashevsky, Roy Williams, they're the best recruiters, right? Mm -hmm. They're out there, they're working. So, me and JD, and we love that part. We just were out there every single, relentless, calling, seeing kids. You know, I walked into Sun Youth, and Negus McKenna, who is arguably one of the best players or dunkers to ever come out of Quebec. Yeah. And I remember at practice, we used to run, you know, fast break drills, and then it would be a two-on-one or three-on-two, and they would give a bounce pass, and Negus, and I would stop the practice. Stop it! There's no more bounce passes to Negus McKenna. You're throwing the lob. You're throwing the lob, <laughs> and he's going to get it. If you don't throw a lob, you're going to do a suicide. And then Negus was looking at me. But when we recruited Negus at Sun Youth, he wouldn't even look us in the eye. He was shy. <laughs> you know, if you guys remember, Negus Deuce was that type of cat that, you know, he was shy to himself. And then we, you know, we spoke to his mom. And Champlain had a good academic rep reputation, still mm -hmm. does. But it was like you were going away. You know what I mean? Like, Kenny, yeah. you understand that, right? You, you were yeah. taking a longer bus. You were going across the bridge. And at that time, it was different. And it felt like you were playing at a prep school. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we tried to make it, right? And then when you went there and you put that jersey on. So the recruiting part wasn't that good. I'll tell you a story. Mohamed Ashad, okay? 6'5", Moroccan kid. Uh, one of the best players to come out of Quebec. John calls me up one day. It's a Sunday morning. And he's like, Pete, there's a high school all-star game in Longueuil for a double-A high school, okay? Um, 
I think we should go. And I'm like, John, we're stacked already. We got our stuff. I go, let's just show up. I said, you know what? All right, come pick me up. He goes, okay, I'll come pick you up. So we <laughs> drive to we drive to Collège Français in Longueuil, and you know, there's some good players, but you know, there wasn't that 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 heavily guy. Most of the guys played NBL or mm. they played and they were already committed. So the, there's a tip, and the ball goes to this Moroccan kid, and he's 16 years old. He's skinny, skinny. He gets it. He attacks the rim. And he just cuffs it. Boom. We're like, okay. Next play down, a guy goes up for a layup. He swats it on the backboard. Me and JD stop. We turn around. And we try and locate who is a Moroccan parent out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. We're looking. Okay. And then we're like, bonjour, madame. And JD's like, bonjour, madame, with his accent. He goes, is that your son? Say votre fils. And uh, oui, bonjour. Chez John, say Peter. And we didn't even watch the rest of the game, guys. We talked to his mom. And we said that your son, you know, he, he, he had come from Morocco. He was in secondary four, but he was a good student. She said that it's, he, she should be already advanced. We got him in with your boy, Kenny, Jean-Louis, Steve White. We worked it out that the credits were there, and he came in a year early. <laughs> so Mohammed comes in. We get, like, one of the best players ever. Wow. Why, Seth? Because wow. it's not work ethic. We yeah. went to that gym. We went to recruit. There was no player we didn't know about. And – Listen, there were so many guys we wanted to recruit even more, but there's only 12 guys, right? So, uh, but those were the stories, man. That's what I miss. Oh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm happily retired from coaching. It gave me a lot of gray hair. <laughs> but, the, you know, recruiting those guys and building yeah. those bonds, that's the best part of the game. Forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how was that experience at UMass? Because I know you, the first or one of the first from Montreal, Quebec, to, I guess, uh, coach an NCAA. So how was that experience? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a dream come true, Kenny. It was a dream come true. A Montreal kid, you know, uh, growing up here, playing hockey, playing uh, and soccer, and then getting into basketball to be able to, uh, you know, become an NCAA coach. And I believe mm -hmm. I was the first Quebec mm -hmm. coach to ever coach men uh, at the Division One level. And I went to UMass and, you know, Marcus Camby and Dr. J. Uh, you know, I walked into the arena. There's 10,000 people, the offices. Uh, and it was something that I, I worked in terms of the relationships. You know, I got to know mm -hmm. Steve Lapis and Steve was coming here to recruit some guys from Montreal and some of our guys at Champlain. And then, you know, when the practice was over, I took him out to, to a, re a Greek restaurant and I knew everything about his career. I knew that when he took over at Villanova, he had Kerry Kittles. Kerry wow. Kittles didn't want to stay. He, he left the New Orleans. Lapis had to take a flight, go see his mom and convince him to stay at Villanova. And I'm telling him all this. And he's like, how do you know all this? I go, I'm a, a basketball junkie. I just love everything. I'm a student of the game. And we had a great relationship, a good meal. And then the year was 03, 2003. And, you know, John spoke to you guys about how hard it was to win a CGIP championship, right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. easy. There were so many good teams, you know, Dawson and Momo. I mean, they were super stacked. Vanier was really good, too, at that time. And, you know, John Abbott had good teams, too. So that year, you know, was our team. You know, we had Pierre-Marie, uh, we had Maurice, we had Max, we had Negus, we had Olivier uh, Jr., Bruno, Philip Letourneau, uh, Max Bujo, Camby, Division One guys didn't even play that year. Yeah. You know, Brad's Ryan, Brian Finn. You know, that was the year, and it was all the work to get there. And that season, you know, we ended up going 15-1, and one, and we won the championship. We beat mm -hmm. Vanier. Sorry about that, Seth, but Vanier <laughs> got us back the next year. <laughs> but... Um, we were at the Hagen, and the Hagen at that time was the yeah, best tournament, uh, right? Because you had Humber, Sheridan, Algonquin, plus the top four teams in Quebec, and five games in three days. 
And we had some injuries uh, to Negus and Maurice and Vanier beat us in the final. And I got a call the next morning and John says, Hey, Steve Lapis called. He wants you to call him. I'm like, oh. what does he, you know, what does he need? And Steve Lapis, coach Lap called me. He says, Hey Pete, what's going on? And I'm like, not much coach. And he's like, listen, one of my assistant coaches just got a head job division two. I need an assistant and I want to hire you. And I was like, wow, you serious coach. <laughs> and he's like, He's like, yeah, man, serious. You know, you that <laughs> and he's like, uh, I said, when do you need a decision? He goes, I need it within five days because we start the preseason NIT in 10 days. Wow. So, and then I'm like, you know, we had the team that, that could win it all. I, I was established here in Montreal. Uh, but then I just said, you know what? I called Veli Janvier. I called Craig Norman, talked to JD, talked to my parents. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to put everything on pause. I packed my bags. Uh, closed my bank account, opened one up there, and then I went, man. It was like I got a scholarship set. <laughs> yeah. and, and to me, it was like it was a responsibility now because I was the mm -hmm. first Quebec coach yeah. uh, from Montreal, from Quebec, to coach in the NCAA. And I get there, and we play the preseason NIT tournament. We beat St. Francis uh, of New York in the first round. And then the next day, I'm on a flight to Lubbock, Texas, and I'm going to Texas Tech, and I'm coaching against Bobby Knight. But the great Bobby Knight, and we played there, ESPN game. Uh, I'm wearing my nice suit, and then the game is on ESPN. I'm telling everybody, all right, take this game, Mom, tape it, you know, because I'm going to shake Bobby Knight's hand. I want you to <laughs> take a picture of it. So I'm already – they beat us by 20. They had a really good team. I think they went to the uh, Sweet 16. The game ends. I'm getting in line. I got my nice suit, guys, and I go. Steve Lapis shakes Bobby Knight's hand. Bobby Knight shakes his hand. Bobby Knight turns around, takes off. Bobby Knight never shakes anybody else's hand but the head coach. coach. So I got stuck. Man. Thanks a lot, Coach Knight. <laughs> oh, but uh, I had a great experience. Oh, we played man. against UConn with Jim Calhoun. That was the year UConn won a national championship. Yeah. I got to coach against John Chaney at Temple. You know, he 700 wins, Hall of Famer. Um, you know, that year in our conference, you know, the St. Joseph's was number one in the country. They had Jameer Nelson and Delonte West. Uh, so it was just like, you know, you're, you're in the big time, right? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was, it was something that, uh, you know, I'll always treasure, uh, to be able to do that. And then, you know, some other guys got an opportunity, uh, you know, Maurice Joseph, you know, became, you know, an assistant mm -hmm. and then the head coach of George Washington, Jeff Dosado mm -hmm. got to coach division one. And there's going to be more guys now yeah. they are going to go. It's not only, we have great players in, in Quebec guys, we have great coaches as well. Yeah, so, yeah. um, that was my experience, uh, oh. at, at UMass. Oh. Okay. How was it? Okay, go. Go second. Okay. How was it coaching uh, Camby, Marcus Camby? Uh, well, I didn't get a chance to coach him. He was a little bit uh, oh, before. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, they made the final four. Uh, you know, the banners are up there at yeah. the Mullen Center. Um, you know, Dr. J came one day to to visit. You know, John Calipari came to visit too. Uh, you know, Marcus Camby is just you know, you know. UMass is a big time school in the Atlantic mm -hmm. 10, but yeah. they don't, they're not in the big East. They're not in the ACC, but Marcus Camby and Calipari changed the way uh, people, you know, respected and, and, and looked at UMass a little bit like Champlain, right? Like, you know, smaller school that became really good. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're going there and it's like that in the NCAA. It's a lot in Canada as well. Right. But in the NCAA, the alumni are so passionate. You know, like I'm walking there and there's grandparents that have been UMass fans and went to school there for 40 years and they're inviting me over to dinner. Uh, they want my autograph. Like I'm like the fourth assistant coach there. You know why you want my autograph? <laughs> but it's just, they just, they're just so passionate. 
and I was the Canadian guy. They would make fun of me about, hey, you're just a hockey guy. And I think the USA kind of beat Canada or tried to beat them in hockey. But it was just it was just incredible to be able to to get there and to be a Montreal kid to coach in the NCAA. I mean, it's in, unbelievable the players and the talent yeah. that we've that we've taken away. But now coaching wise too. I hope and I wish I, I see more coaches from Quebec and Canada uh, coaching the NCAA level. What's the difference between coaching uh, the CJP level and, and, the, and the UMass? Like the players, I'm pretty sure when you went there, you're just like, whoa. Like, so is there, is there a big difference or? Well, you know, my first day on the job, Steve Lapis calls me into his office and he says, sit down, Pete. And he's like, you know, there's a few things that you got to get done. And, you know, he always loved telling stories. He would tell me all the stories. He won a national championship with Villanova. Uh, he coached there for, for 10 years. Uh, and he says, the one thing I'll teach you that you have to know to be successful in this level. And it's GID. And I'm like, GID? But what's that, coach? He says, GID, get it done. So no matter what you do, no matter what I ask, you got to get it done. If I need a tape, uh, of, of a game that happened three years ago that we're playing, you know, we're playing UConn and they played Hofstra. You got to get that tape, whatever you got to do. If you got to get a manager and drive down four hours to New Jersey, get that tape and bring it back. So it's in my office the next morning for film, you're going to do it. And I had to do that. <laughs> so oh, that's, that, that, that's the biggest. And, you know, all NCAA teams are a little bit different, but one thing is that the assistants, they all have, you know, players that they take under their wing. Okay. You know, so there's like about six, five, six coaches at the high level D1 school. So I had two players that were like my sons, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I took care of them, everything. So you build that trust. And the one kid that I had was a freshman. His name was Stefan Lazmi. He was from Gabon, Africa, uh, 6'8", super athletic. And he spoke French. So, you know, there was okay. that connection and, you know, the grind of being a freshman in college, you guys were right. It's, it's mm -hmm. tough, you know, like you got to balance school, you're living what you're going to do. And ultimately he made the NBA. He, you know, he played for the Miami heat for a couple of years. So, and he still thanks me for that first year that I took him under my wing. So um, the details, the hard work, uh, there was also Pete, you got to go around making sure the guys are in classes so my two hours during the day, I'm going around each class to make sure the guys are in class. And, and some of me, part of me was like, you know, we, I came from Champlain and Kenny could attest. Um, yeah, Kenny had some, you know, he, he was a good, great player. He had some you know, <laughs> issues going to class uh, that he rectified afterwards. Yeah. But we did it the same way. Like, you know, we made sure guys went to class. But there, it's, it's a job. You know, you're, mm -hmm. that's your role. You're getting paid. I was getting a salary. Not the greatest salary when you first start off, but still a salary and you got to perform. And one of my, my mentors, he was an assistant coach on our team. His name was Andrew Theokis. He told me this, and I'll always remember this. We were playing UConn at the Hartford Civic Center. Um, there was 20,000 people and it's the warmups. And he grabs me and he says, Pete, look at the front row here. And I'm like, okay. He says, you see all these guys? Those are doctors, lawyers, bankers right? Those guys, politicians, they're paying to watch me and you work tonight. There's 30 days of the year. We have the best job in the world. They pay to watch us coach. He says the other 335 days, they ain't shit. He says, cause we got to do all the little things that people don't know. Make sure they go to class, you know, shooting guard, didn't renew his license. You got to get him, drive him there. <laughs> so it's all those, those little things, but you know, going to the restaurants, 
you know, you know, making sure the flights are good. Yeah. But the one thing that I love is that Steve Lapis, he came from, a, from the Roly Massimino tree. Uh, Roly Massimino won a Villanova championship in 1985. They beat Patrick Ewing. Um, and then Lapis took over for Villanova for 10 years. He loved telling stories and he loved hanging out with his coaches. So after every game, we'd go to, you know, Steve Lapis's house. He'd order some pizza, subs, and then we'd just talk. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. The assistant coaches look at me. They're like, yeah. Wait about six months after a game. We want to go. Want to go home? We're gonna see your girl. You want to do anything? You don't want to go hang out with the coach again. We've been hanging out twelve hours the whole day. But as a Canadian kid, I was like, man, I'm, I'm soaking this in. I used yeah. to drive him around to clinics. He yeah. would tell me stories. So uh, it, it was a dream come true. Uh, wow. But the biggest, the biggest difference is that it's a full time job at the NCAA yeah. level, and yeah. you're paid to win. And mm-hmm. if you don't win, uh, you know the heat's on, man. The heat's yeah. on if you don't win. Comment, comment ton bagage NC, comme tu l'as bien expliqué, t'a aidé quand tu es revenu au Québec? Comment ça t'a aidé? Oui, c'est une bonne question, Kenny. Écoute, quand je suis revenu, j'étais toujours un coach. Tu sais, c'était un joueur, mais j'ai coaché 10 ans à Champlain. J'étais à UMass pendant deux ans presque. Puis là, tu sais, c'est comme, you know, Craig Norman était à McGill. Là, il dit, viens coacher avec moi. Je voulais prendre un petit break parce que, tu sais, c'est... De, depuis 19 ans à, à 32 ans, c'est non-stop, c'était ma carrière, je faisais ça. Puis là, je voulais regarder un peu d'autres choses, d'autres opportunités. Puis je voulais toujours être dans la game. Tu sais, je ne voulais pas être un adjoint, comme j'ai mentionné tantôt, puis être à temps partiel. Je ne peux pas faire ça. Moi, je dois être là à chaque pratique, chaque game, parce que je dois être là pour mes joueurs. Mais je suis devenu un peu comme consultant. Euh, j'ai continué à aider JD. Tu sais, puis même quand j'étais à UMass, je me souviens, la finale contre Vanier, on était à Richmond. On jouait contre Richmond dans un conference game. Puis j'appelais avant le match, good luck, guys. Puis là, je, il me donnait des updates. C'est comment? C'est 36-31. Oh, <rire> puis il a compté contre Buckley. OK. And then like, puis je ne voulais pas mon head coach me regarde parce qu'on a un gros match. <rire> mais mes adjoints, ils connaissaient ça, que j'étais tellement un gars de Champlain. Euh, fait que là, quand je suis revenu, j'ai continué à aider JD, Steve White and the boys. Je n'étais pas comme officiel là, mais j'étais toujours... J'étais un ambassadeur du programme. J'étais mmh. toujours là. Fait que j'ai aidé les gars un peu sur le côté, côté euh, stratégie parce que j'ai appris beaucoup de choses. T'sais, quand tu es dans l'NCA, ouais. je faisais les scouting reports. Vous connaissez ça, les scouting reports. Là, c'est devenu « it got to another level ». Mais yeah. dans le temps, c'était comme 15-20 pages puis on faisait le prep. Fait que j'ai aidé Craig Norman. Puis j'ai aidé d'autres coachs canadiens qui m'appelaient, qui voulaient savoir euh, c'était comment euh, la stratégie, c'était comment votre offense, votre defense. Puis là, j'ai commencé à travailler euh, un peu euh, dans la radio. Euh, TSN 690, dans le temps, c'était Team 990. Il connaissait, j'étais un coach à UMass. Puis il disait, tu veux parler un peu de NBA, un peu de basket? Puis j'ai dit, yeah, sure, why not? Puis quand j'ai fait de la radio au début, puis ça, c'est il y a 16 ans, ça, c'était en 2005, parce que 15 ans, almost 16, tu sais, je savais pas. Tu sais, I didn't go to school for that, but I just talked about the game that I love, that I know. Puis là, j'ai, j'ai développé mon craft. You know, I developed that craft in terms of being a good analyst, being mm-hmm. a radio guy that covers the NBA. Mm-hmm. Puis c'était la même chose, guys. C'était comme watch tape, watch games, talk to coaches, talk to agents, talk. Puis mon network got bigger and bigger. And then I started, you know, becoming like a little bit of an insider. And then I liked it. Less pressure than coaching. Uh, <laughs> but, but then my next dream was, hey, can I get somehow closer to the NBA, right? And mm-hmm. after all these years... Uh, I stayed close to a lot of people. Uh, I was always a Champlain guy, but I then I, I really believed, and I'm so proud 
and I, and I bleed Champlain, but I'm so proud of Quebec basketball. And I think that sometimes we're underappreciated, undervalued, underestimated. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that people know how good Quebec basketball is and how good the players are, the coaches, the development, the AU guys. So I'm always pumping Quebec basketball. And, you know, I'm so happy that there's so many guys that, that have gone to the next level, not only NBA, college, CIS, you know, you guys, what you guys did, mm-hmm. you know. Canadian University, if, if you don't have a Quebec guy on your team, you're probably not going to win, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much good talent here. So, so I'm proud to be that Quebec ambassador um, in conjunction with what, you know, my career has become now as an analyst, TV analyst, you know, for RDS. And, you know, I do five radio shows a week. Um, it's, it's fun, man. It's fun. Yeah. I'm blessed. Where, where, where do you see Quebec basketball in five, ten years? Because every year, every year it keeps growing. So where do you see Quebec in maybe five, ten years? Uh, I think it's, it's just going to keep on elevating, uh, Kenny. Uh, I think that the best thing about Quebec basketball, but in basketball in general in this era, is that all the coaches right now, are a lot of them are former players, right? So guys who played the game, who were coached really by good coaches, are now becoming coaches themselves. So I think that's how the game grows. Uh, guys that want to give back, you give back by coaching. And it's not only at the university level, it's at the CGIP level, it's at the high school level. Oh my God, the high school coaches, you know, like uh, they're amazing. You know, yeah, like guys yeah. don't get paid that much and you have to make a sacrifice too, right? Like, yeah. you know, things are good for me now, you know, <laughs> the, the salary is nice when you're you know, <laughs> calling t- games on TV and, and working, but you know, I had to struggle and grind, guys. Yeah. You know, I wasn't getting paid when I was at Champlain, at UMass. You know, I wasn't making the, the millions like the head coach was. <laughs> you know, I, I had to save some money and save and find trying to get food. And, you know, it, it's the struggle everywhere. But I think right now there's so many great players that you guys are interviewing and, and having on your show and, you know, who are coaches now. And they're giving back to the game. And, you know, those guys are able to – teach the younger kids work ethic, um, how to play, um, and guys try their best. And every coach has a different style. It's not everybody's mm. going to be the same style. Some are more cerebral. Some are more calm. They're going to explain, you know, development. Some are more passionate. Some are like old school, you know, you get out there yeah. and, and press and defend. And uh, so if you mix that around, and I think, you know, the Quebec Federation is trying to do good work, and they are doing good work. You know, Daniel Grimar, Alejandro Hasbani, George Germanos, they're working in conjunction with the AU teams to yeah. get those guys to play on the Quebec team before they couldn't because they only wanted to play AU or yeah. you could only play Quebec team or you couldn't. But yeah. now they're working together, you know, with Nelson and, and the Joeys, you know, and, and, and the Berkeys. Um, we have to come together. It's mm-hmm. not completely there because it's always competitive. Yeah. But I'm trying to bring everybody together where we could work together and then say, hey, you know what? Remember what I said earlier, when we beat Denon Brown in Bathurst Heights in front of T-Mac in Toronto, that was pride for Champlain, but for Montreal, for Quebec. And I still want us to beat those guys. And, you know, Toronto is tough. It's a bigger population. They got the Raptors. Uh, but, uh, you know, look what we're doing, right? We've won so many gold medals with the Quebec team. You know, Pascal Jobin did great work. So many coaches, you know, Nathan yeah. Grant, Dan Martin, you know, Trevor Williams, you know, Ricky Volsi. There's so many good, you know, coaches that are giving their time, uh, all former players, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you get those former players to give back, you're going to teach our kids and they'll be even better uh, moving forward. 
Uh, how, how, how do you feel when people call you the uh, Woj of Quebec? <laughs> <laughs> because, because if I want to find out something, I just go on your Twitter, on your Facebook, and then, oh, okay, Chris Boucher is not going to play today. Oh, Lugans is going to be absent. Like, okay, I just have to go at your Twitter or Facebook. So how do you feel? Yeah. Oh, thanks, Kenny. And, and, how, and how did you build those uh, connections? Yeah. Well, I got a long way to go to be Woj from the <laughs> States, uh, from ESPN. But a, a, a lot of my journey, like I spoke to you guys early, was I watched tape. I watched the games. I watched what the USA did, and I try to implement that here. Um, and it's the same thing here. You know, why can't we do it, right? You know, it's not only Americans can do that. We got the talent to do that. And uh, for me, it's very simple. Um, I started playing grassroots ball i played high school basketball mm -hmm. i played in the park and i i went to cgip and i built relationships i built relationships with people kenny when you were going to champlain how many talks did i have with you about committing to champlain yeah, right yeah a bunch and what did i always tell you and i promised you i said kenny when you come to champlain it's not for three years it's a brotherhood for life and now when you asked me to come on your show what did i say i'm coming on Because yeah. that's the commitment I made to you, bro. That's what I did. And this is what it is. If, if For anybody that wants to get into, you know, this industry, um, you have to have relentless work ethic. Relentless work ethic. Um, you have to be the hardest worker out there. Uh, I work hard. Um, you know, my phone is on. I'm, I'm texting. Sometimes my wife is not too happy uh, <laughs> about that. But, you know, it's my role. It's my job. You know, I'm texting players now that are playing in the NCAA and I'm wishing them good luck. After the game, you know, I text Lugans every time. I talk to him and say, hey, you don't need to, to hook on that drive that you did last night against Barrett. Just go and attack. It's the small things that I, that I help guys. And, you know, you talk to, to, to coaches and you meet people and then they trust you. But you have to be a good person. You know, I'm not the best person out there. Uh, I had that swag, that cockiness and as a player. And to me, because I didn't have the greatest athletic abilities, right, I had to have an edge. Um, so I had that confidence and that swag. But you got to, you know, combine, combine that with humility. Um, but to me, it's like having good relationships. And if you have that, people will give you information. And when they give you information, there's some stuff that you could share, but there's some stuff that you cannot. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff that I would love to share, but if mm -hmm. I do that, I will break that trust. Yeah. And that's why I ask, are you cool with that? Yes. If not, you know, and that's why, um, you know, you get that information. That's why Woj is so good is because he's built that trust with so many key people. You know, I talk to agents, I talk to NBA people, I talk to, to players, I talk to AU players, I talk to just, you know, people that, that, that have their little brother, their little cousin, you know, and I'm, I'm trying mm -hmm. to help them. So uh that's that's how it went guys that's what it is wow. it's about you know giving back i do a lot of stuff radio shows i do appearances um you know i, I don't ask for money i will never go to a camp and say hey pay me to, to talk to kids i i'm here today peter and we papa is here right now <laughs> because of the game because of the game so i gotta stay true to it and that's what i try to do yeah yeah and I also know that you refed. Can you talk a little, about, a little bit about uh, refing? And also, I know you're part of the NCAA tour. Like when uh, the NCAA team comes to, I guess, Quebec, I know you were a big part of that. So can you talk about the referee? Yeah. Yeah, also, yeah you know, yeah. I, I, I end up turning to the dark side, right? I, I became <laughs> an official. <laughs> some coaches, some guys said that. But, 
what what happened was um you know when i when i came back um when i stopped coaching and i came back from umass you know i took a little break and i was you know working as a consultant in basketball and then doing some some radio and a little bit of tv but i started playing again you know i was in my mid 30s early 30s and i got that love again and i yeah. just started playing and i played in four or five leagues and i got in great shape again and you know there's nothing better guys than playing yeah. i mean i love being on tv and i love talking here but you know getting in a gym and competing nothing yeah. beats it so i love playing so much and it was so good and then one day uh, it was at kinkler's league it was it was the semifinal um going up fast break jump stop i went up boom tore my acl Damn. i never had a knee injury in my life ever and then i did a jump stop and my acl mcl you know it tore completely so um then i fractured my tibia plateau so i had two knee injuries back to back uh, so then i was like man what am i gonna do oh i gotta go to nautilus plus and be a regular guy and go to the gym i hated that i like playing <laughs> ball that's the best shape to do right fellas but uh so what did i do is that i started refing and i started refing a little bit in kinkler's league then a couple of leagues and then you know same thing guys student of the game you yeah. know i was a player i was a coach i watched and now i'm watching games and I'm watching reps. I'm watching their positioning. And being a ref, you know, it's not easy, right? It's tough because things happen quick. Uh, it's the only really league where the players are allowed to trash talk or, or give, you know, give a hard time to the refs, right? You're like yeah. complaining. Yeah. The other leagues, you know, you could say something. Uh, but the one thing about, about refing is about feel for the game. If you have that feel. And, you know, I watched so many games in my life where, the five foot seven guard would drive and jump into a six ten guy, and the guy's just standing straight, and the ref calls a foul. Like the guy's like he's initiating the contact. That that's not a block, you know. It's mm -hmm. you, and and those little things resonated with me, and I tried to just let the players play. Okay. And if you let players play, uh, especially at first, I was you know, refing in men's leagues, right? And then you're doing tournaments, and I started you know I didn't started going to the top. Um, but then I had the respect of the players because they know me and they know my background. So if I'm making a call, you know, they're like, this guy knows the game, but still they, they would get upset a little bit, but I would always let the guys vent. And then I would explain, Hey, yeah. here's what you did here. And then you make a mistake. You say, hey, my bad on this one, but the less fouls that you call and you let the guys play and they don't fall out and they don't have foul trouble. I think that was a good part. And then JD and me, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, we decided to bring, uh, we formed a company and we started bringing NCAA teams to mm -hmm. Montreal. Same thing, right? American teams were doing this, uh, having foreign tours in Hawaii or in the States or in Europe. Why don't we do it here in Montreal? Great city, beautiful, yeah. uh, historic, good competition. So we started hosting those tours which were great. At first I was working them with JD. I was, you know, with the teams and again, relationship with coaches, yeah. with teams. And for me, it was fun because I was able to be a part of an NCAA team or any basketball team for a week. So you're on the bus, yeah. you're watching film, you're, you're ordering them food after the game you're eating. And it was, and now you have big time basketball players coming here against Canadian university teams or Quebec teams. The referees get the ref NCAA. The players get to play against NCAA. Yeah. Fans get to watch it. So it was something where, hey, let's bring this level here and everybody could win. 
And then after that, uh, you know, I, I got a little bit busier and I, you know, I couldn't be with the teams at all time because of work uh, commitments that I had. Um, and then when I started refing, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a little crew of guys that we would ref. And then we started refing these uh, NCAA games. So I'm refing against Indiana, you know, and Tom Crean. I'm refing against, you know, Texas Tech and Syracuse, some of the games. So uh, would I like to continue refing and make it a career? Yes, I just don't have the time uh, with what everything that I'm doing. But uh, to me, even just getting into a gym and refing a men's league game and just seeing those guys, I love watching good players, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but refing at the NCAA level here, the tours, it was incredible. And the best part of it was the U.S. coaches and the media that followed them yeah. coming up to me after and saying, you know what, you could ref in the Big Ten. You, okay. Your crew is better than some of the crews that we have there. And it was me, Dwight Walton, Roger McDonald, Edson yeah. Derillion, uh, Robert Gibbs. Like those were my like five guys. Yeah. It was a couple other guys too, but we, we ref those games. So myself, Dwight, and Roger, experienced guys, let the players play. And it's, it's a nice compliment to get. Yeah. But hey, um, you know, it's all about being versatile, man. I, I just try to do everything with this game, guys. I try to do everything as I can. <laughs> Yeah, you did everything. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm lucky, man. I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. Could you uh, uh, talk a, a little bit about your relationship with JD? Because I know you guys are super close, and for sure, when we've interviewed Negus, Maurice, uh, and other players, you guys always it always comes up JD. If it wasn't for JD and Peter, JD and Peter. So we just want to know your, your relationship and how it started, and why you guys are so, I guess, known as these, this duo. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's. Um, JD, you know, he means so much to me. You know, I have I have one sister uh, that I love to death, but, you know, John Danjus to me is my brother. He really is. And uh, we met when, um, you know, I became an assistant uh, at Champlain. But I don't know if I told you this story, Kenny, but I'll share it with everybody because this is a classic. So it's my last year at Champlain, 1995. And I'm playing, I'm the captain. And, you know, we got a decent team, but we're – we lost some guys to academics that year and a uh, little bit tough. So it's January and you know how January is a hey guys, the season is like the first game starts the 24th because mm -hmm. it, you're off. So now you're practicing. It's tough. It's cold. So Norman's writing us hard. And he says one day, Hey guys, I'm going to, I have a guest coach here for you guys today. So a guest coach will watch our practice and he'll just evaluate. So he goes, I want to introduce you guys to John D'Angelis. I never met this guy before. I never knew who John D'Angelis was. So I'm like, okay, cool. So we're doing a drill. We're going up and Craig's upset. And he's like, guys, he whistles. He's like, we're not giving the right effort today. 10 push-ups. So we get down. We're doing 10 push-ups. So we're going 10, 10, 10. I finish. I get up. All of a sudden, this guy that I never knew before, John D'Angelis, he goes, Craig, Craig, this guy did eight and a half. He only did eight and a half push-ups. So Craig Norman says, what? Put the balls away. Put oh. the balls away. You're running the rest of practice. So we had to run for an hour <laughs> and 10 minutes because this guy, this guest coach, I don't know who he is, John D'Angelo's ratted out a kid doing eight and a half push-ups. So I'm like, are you serious? I was so pissed. But then, you know, we became assistant wow. coaches together. This is a true story, man. Oh, man. Uh, I still bug JD about that today. I go, thanks a lot, bro. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we coached together and then JD was always that big brother to me. You know, I was in school. 
um, you know, he would come pick me up and drive me to practice and then we would just talk. And then when, when he took the job and he elevated me to his, mm-hmm. you know, associate head coach, uh, JD, just so selfless, uh, passionate guy, energy. I think we're very similar. I think you guys could tell, uh, you know, yeah. we just love the game, but, uh, JD, you know, pushed players, but you know, he, he pushed his coaches too. Mm-hmm. And he always de- tried to develop us. And I'll tell you a story. When one year John got asked to be the head coach at the Kentucky Derby Classic All-Star Game, All-American Game in oh. Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So he was the head coach. Bernard Cote was invited, was selected to play in this game. And there was, you know, a couple of NBA guys, 24 players. So the whole week, Louisville, Kentucky, it's an All-American Game. It was just the notch below the McDonald's All-American Game and the Jordan Game. So JD got invited to be the head coach with another coach from Kentucky. So what does he do? He says, you know what, Pete, you're coming with me and Steve White. He wow. says, you know, you guys are coming with me. You're going to stay in my room. Uh, I got some, some points. I'll get your flight paid. The guy took care of us. You know what I mean? Took care of me. So it's those little things that JD did. And then that bond together, right? Just coaching, uh, trying to recruit. And, you know, we won a lot of games. We recruited good players. But we lost some games too, right? It wasn't, it wasn't always easy. We lost, you know, some close, tough games. We tried to get better as coaches. We, we, we argued a lot. John didn't want to play zone, right? John only wanted to play man-to-man. He says, development. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Everybody's playing zone. Like, we got, we got six, nine, six, nine, six, eight at the front line. You, you want to guard Dawson, six, two guards, six, two power forwards? How can you do that? He's like, nope, we're going to develop. And I was pissed because I wanted to win. Yeah. But then eventually, you know, he, he kind of changed. And, uh, but, you know, we, you know, we became business partners. We worked together off the court. So basically, it was the whole day together, coaching, wow. working together, uh, weekends, uh, phones at my house, at his house. Um, and he's just, he's a special, special human being. He's gone through a little bit of hard times, but, you know, I still think, you know, I call him the GOAT. There's so many GOATs. There's so many great coaches out there. But to me, what John was able to do, uh, he's just amazing. And he's a brother to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a very, very special bond that we have together. I mean, we talk every day and that's the beauty, right? And, you know, I got offered and not all people know this, but before I went to UMass, uh, I got offered to coach the uh, Edouard Montpetit team. They had, they had oh. the, the coach had left and I met the AD. I went for the interview and they gave me the job. They say, it's yours. And then I'm like, okay, do I take it? I wanted to, cause I wanted to go my own way and be my head coach. But at the time, part of coaching at Champlain, yeah. it's the brotherhood. It's the brotherhood yeah. that were the players and the brotherhood with John and Steve White and Rami, Rick Jr. And Akram. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose that. And, um, you know, things happen for a reason, but JD is wow. just an incredible, incredible guy. Yeah. yeah, I'll pull out. yeah, yeah. Do, do, do you think one day we're going to have an NBA team in Montreal? 100%. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen. Guys. I'm <laughs> telling you, uh, yeah. listen, it's not going to be easy. Okay. It's not going to be easy. Um, you know, it's tough, right? There's so many, one, the NBA has to want expansion. Uh, at first, they didn't really think that was going to happen in the near future. But then, you know, a couple of weeks ago with the pandemic, they're like, hey, if we get two new teams in, um, that expansion fee that they're going to pay is going to bring a lot of revenue to the current 30 teams that are there. So Adam Silver hinted that. 
And then the next day I was part of a um, NBA global media conference call uh, for all media across the world. So I was, I was fortunate to be invited on that. Wow. And the uh, deputy commissioner and chief operating officer, Mark uh, Tatum, he was delivering the, the press conference as, the, as a speaker. And I asked him a question. I said, you know, with, with all the impeding talk about potential expansion, um, you know, what do you think the chances of Montreal getting a franchise? Is it a viable city for the NBA to consider? Mm -hmm. And Mark said, Montreal is a fantastic basketball city. So for him to say that is, is, wow. is, yeah. is significant. And Mark was here a couple of years ago when the Raptors played, I think, their last game. I think mm -hmm. they played against Brooklyn. He said, one, and I spoke to him. He said, Peter, you have a state-of-the-art facility at the Bell Center. You have a passionate fan base. There's 20,000 people every time you guys have a preseason game here. You're one of the biggest cities and markets in North America, right? Mm -hmm. Montreal is, I think, the yeah. sixth largest city. Um, the game is growing. There's grassroots. Um, there's corporate sponsorship. You have, you know, the surrounding areas of Ottawa, Quebec, upstate New York, Vermont. Uh, you know, Montreal guys, I tell people this, we're not 1990 anymore. Montreal is a big time city. Yeah. Montreal hosted the Olympics in 1976, the Summer Olympics, not the winter, the oh, summer. Uh, yeah. You know, we have, you know, the Canadians, we had the expos, we had like big business. This is a, a passionate market. Um, you know, why can't, if Toronto could have a team, why can't Montreal? Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, the game keeps on growing. Um, right now, expansion looks like it might happen sooner rather than later. Uh, I would hope it then potentially goes to four teams or four cities. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, Seattle deserves their team back uh, that they lost. Yeah. Supersonics, which up G. Payne, Sean Kemp, right? <laughs> then I think Las Vegas is a city right now that, that's gravitating towards professional sports. Uh, they have an arena that could be good. Uh, and then I think Montreal, Mexico would be two other cities that would make sense in terms of going international a little bit. I think that's what the yeah. NBA wants. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. is it my dream guys? I mean, <laughs> a lot of my dreams came true, right? Yeah. Already, you know, I coached in the States, I'm covering yeah. NBA, but to have an NBA team here, guys, come on, man. That would yeah, be spectacular. Yeah, yeah. And is that the last question? Yeah. So who do you think is going to win this year? And what LeBron has to do to become the GOAT? In your eyes. Kenny ah. <laughs> <laughs> Jean-Louis with a tough question at the end, man. <laughs> um, I think this year is, is wide open, you know, a little bit like last year was. You know, there was the first year where, you know, Kevin Durant left Golden State and th there was no clear-cut favorite. So yeah. the Lakers ended up winning. But I think the Clippers had the team last year. I think in the East, Milwaukee, the pandemic kind of, you know, hurt their chances. I think this year is kind of similar. There's a lot of games. Guys are missing games because of, you know, COVID protocols. You know, we saw the, the unfortunate and disastrous situation at the Capitol again. You know, yeah. like, you know, like that's, that's insane. Hopefully that president is out on the 20th and we'll never hear from him again. I don't want to get into politics, but it's time to move on, right? Because this guy, you know, it, it hurts the players, you know, like yeah. this is real life, life stuff. It's time to, to, to set the world right, you know, mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's wide open. Um, I'm a big Giannis guy, right? You know, the Greek freak. Uh, do they have enough to get to, 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 to overcome? Giannis, I don't think it's a question of do they have enough. I think Giannis has to step up. 
And Giannis is my guy, but he's got to step up in the fourth. If he wants to be considered, you know, like LeBron and KD and, and the greats. So I think if Brooklyn's healthy, you know, they could really do some damage. I think the Celtics, I think they had their shot last year. Last they should have beat Miami and got to the finals. You know, it's tough, guys. You see it, right? Yeah. The window, the Clippers, man, up 3-1 to Denver. You had the team last year. Uh, I, I think Lakers will be tough to, to go back to back. I still think if I had to pick, I think the Clippers, uh, they'll figure it out. They'll get in the West. I think, you know, Milwaukee or Brooklyn, uh, man, Brooklyn looks good if everybody's playing, yeah. you know, together, right? So uh, it could be it could be Brooklyn Lakers. It could be Milwaukee Clippers. I think it's one of those four teams will okay. probably win the championship. And to answer your question, Kenny, man, <laughs> number one, I love LeBron James, okay? <laughs> What's not to love? He's one of the greatest to ever do it. He's, you know, I just didn't like the fact that he left Cleveland to join his competitors, to join that big three with Miami. Yeah, okay. uh, you know, I'm a competitive guy. You guys heard my story a little bit today. Yeah. Uh, I'm old school, right? Like joining guys like Magic Bird, Jordan. Jordan lost to all these guys. And then ultimately, he beat them all, Yeah. right? He took the lumps. You know, and then he said, and man, they won six titles. He retired, you know, for, for two years. And then again in 99, they should have brought the – Jordan could have won nine in a row. He won yeah. six. To me, it's all about championships, guys. It's all about winning. Basketball is the only sport where the superstar player, not the role player or average guy, the superstar player impacts the game both offensively and defensively. And they play the whole game. They'll yeah. play 45, 46 minutes, and they'll play offense, they'll play defense. Baseball, you only hit swing the ball, uh, swing the bat four times. Hockey, there's four lines. Football, you're a quarterback. You're only playing half the game. If your defense yeah. is not good, you know, it's tough. Basketball, like, you could impact the game both ways. So, I think LeBron, the longevity is incredible. The durability, to me, the most durable player of all time was Kobe. Kobe, for 16, 17 years, had broken bones, fingers, ligaments. He never missed a game. He would drop 40, 50. <laughs> but then the Achilles got to him. Yeah. LeBron. That, that, that one, you know, hamstring a couple of years ago, the guy's so durable. But he's got to win the championships. He's got to, like, you know, Kareem has six. Jordan's at six. Magic's got five. Uh, Kobe's got five. Duncan's got five. I'm talking superstar players, not role yeah. guys. Don't tell me Robert Horry or Bruce <laughs> Bowen, right? Those guys are great. I'm talking superstars. You know, Bill Russell, I think that era was different. There wasn't that many teams. Yeah. Uh, but... Right now, he's got four, you know, yeah. out of ten. I still think nobody will ever touch Jordan because he yeah. – nobody ate when Jordan played, man. <laughs> it was like the, they feared him, right? Guys, like yeah. you, you saw it in all those great teams. LeBron, a little bit different. He's a different player. I think he's more like Magic Johnson was. You know, yeah. Magic Johnson won five titles in nine years, guys. He went to the finals nine years in his first ten. Then, he, you know, he got HIV and he had to retire. Magic could have won like seven, eight titles. I think LeBron likes to distribute, facilitate, but he's got a chance. One, because he takes care of his body. And two, you know, going to LA, they could pay that luxury tax and they could afford to have yeah. that extra, that, you know, sign some extra guys. Look, nobody's going to touch Jordan. Yeah. But if LeBron gets the six, seven championships, he's got four. Then it's like, you know, because the records are there. And I think LeBron he micromanages the game so much, you know, like his offense, he's the point guard. Yeah. He, he, he's the one who's going to get those assists. He gets the rebounds. The stats are just incredible and credit to him. And the one other thing, Kenny and Seth, LeBron does it the right way. 
Yeah. No problems off the court. Family yeah. man, uh, ambassador. Yeah. Uh, just, just a tremendous human being. Yeah. It's great discussions to have. I just think Jordan, what he did, the way he won, it was like he's a killer, man. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. LeBron is, is getting close, man. Definitely, yeah. Okay, so can we play the game? Okay, just a quick game before uh, we leave. So this, I guess I'm going to try to ask the same question that I asked JD. Maybe, you, <laughs> Maybe you'll give an answer. Yeah. Um, can you tell me the five best players that you coach from point guard to center? Uh, well, listen, uh, you know, JD said, no, he loves all his guys. I love all the guys too, right? And I mentioned a lot of them, right? But, you know, um, there were some guys that were just special. You know, and but everybody was a little bit different, you know, like, you know, when I came back from UMass, I wasn't on the bench at Champlain, but I was still with the team. You know, I was still with you, Kenny and, and Nolan and Alex Paquet and, you know, you guys, you know, you won a championship and then the, it kept going. And now I still talk to recruits, you know, to go to Champlain. Dan says, can you talk to this kid? I said, of course. But we had some really special guys. I mentioned that Eric Zulu, what he did for the program, he was just great. I think that Eugene Ambrose is definitely part of that top five. Six, five point guard, you know, was our second guy to get a scholarship. The guy wouldn't shake hands before the game with guys. Guys feared him. He would dunk on guys. He was probably when he wanted to, was the best defender I've ever seen. It was just a consistency. I think today he would have gone to a high major school. He's definitely up there. I mean, Mohammed Ashad, he only played two years for us. People don't understand that. Remember my story? He was 16. Yeah. He came in at 17, 18. And then his father comes up to us one day and he says, hey, uh, Peter, John, get my son a scholarship. I have to bring the family back to Morocco. We're moving. Oh. He was going to stay a third year. And that third year would have been Mohamed Ashad, Pierre-Marie Cespedes, and Morris Joseph in the back. Yeah. Like, 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 we're not losing a game. Or maybe yeah. one. You know, like, but, but Mohamed, what he was able to do is, you know, at 6'5", another 6'5 point guard, uh, you know, dunk. He threw the ball off the backboard and dunked it in the game. Like, these are stuff that not too many guys do what Mohammed was doing here. Um, I think Pierre-Marie Altador Cespedes is definitely one of, the, one of the top, you know, guards, players that we had all time. Went to Gonzaga. He was my little brother. I took him everywhere. We went to the ABCD camp. And I remember going up to the coach directly because he liked Gonzaga. He liked their style. And I went to their assistant coach and I said, Coach, my players, Pierre-Marie, take a look at him. He likes you guys. Okay. They watch him play. He dominates. Mark Few, uh, let's get him for a visit. You know, and then we took, we took from New Jersey, we took a bus and train 19 hours to get to Louisville to play in that tournament. Jeez. It's crazy, but it's, it's, it was all love. I was fortunate to be there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Maurice Joseph, you know, player of the year in Canada, uh, you know, heart of a lion, score, swag, mm -hmm. confidence. Bernard Cote, um, you know, the guy got recruited by 300 schools. You know, six, nine, like there was letters, there was school, like coaches, um, just a great, great player, great person. Negus McKenna is up there. Um, I mean, so many throw, throw the ball up. And then, you know, what he did at the NCAA level, uh, you know, there's, there's so many guys, yeah. you know, uh, you know, Adam Shibalewski, Randy Dezouve, you know, Kenny Jean-Louis, Mackenzie DeBrule, Sandy Brutus, you know, Nico Cochran. Uh, there's so many guys, but if, you know, I'm not afraid to say there's certain guys that were just at a next level. Mm -hmm. The first, you know, five, six guys that I mentioned, um, man, just, wow. uh, just yeah. really good. Yeah. 
Um, for my game, I'm gonna give you three scenarios. You gotta start one, bench one, and cut one. All right. Okay. So the first one is being coached by Craig Norman and your high school coach. So being coached by two, like you said, probably two of the best coaches, not only Quebec, but in Canada. That's the first scenario. The second one is being able to coach, being the first Quebec coach to go to UMass, to, um, to coach the NCAA at UMass. And the mm-hmm. third one is being an MBA analysis at RDS. So <laughs> I, got, I got a start, cut, and bench one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, look, I'm going to start those two coaches, man. Billy Janvier and Craig Norman. They're my guys. I tell them every single time. I want people to know this. There's yeah. no Peter Yiannopoulos. There's no Wee Papa. I'm not standing talking to you if, if it wasn't for those two guys. Uh, what they did for me is just incredible. Um, if I have to, what was the second one? Uh, UMass. Being the first uh, Quebec. Yeah. 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 I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bench that one. I'll bench that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's a great honor. Uh, you know, it's a privilege. Uh, and then I guess being an analyst, I'll, I'll cut that one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's tough, man. Your game is tough, man. Those are, <laughs> I'm not afraid to answer questions. I, yeah. I do this for a living. So uh. I'm not that guy that's not going to answer, but uh, it's, listen, guys, the game. And mm. I'm so happy that I got to do this just because I, I, I love giving back. And I want to give back to two tremendous players out of Quebec that you both were, you know, played CGIP, played high-level Canadian ball. You guys are great people, you know, respectful. You come from great families and you're doing great work. And this to me, um, you know, talking to, you know, an NBA player, GM, I'd rather do this. And uh-huh. you guys deserve all the credit. Uh, and I'm proud of you guys. Keep it up. Um, but it's just the ability that this game has given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's humbling. It's yeah. humbling because I get to do a lot of things and I look back and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of hard work, but there's a lot of luck and there's a lot of people that helped me get there. Not only my mentors, but my players. If I didn't have those great players when we went to Kentucky and yeah. I met those coaches, if we were, we had the worst team, nobody wants to talk to Peter Yiannopoulos, right? <laughs> you know, I'll leave you guys with this. This is the funniest story. Uh, Brad Stevens used to be an assistant coach at Butler. Okay. And now he's the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And Brad used to recruit our guys at Champlain. He used to compare Marie, Negus, Maurice. Then he became the head coach at Butler. And he calls me up one day and he says, Peter, he says, you're big time now, man. I see you talking to Kentucky and Duke and Syracuse. All all the the best programs want to recruit your guys. Do me one favor, Pete. When I call you, just pick up my call. <laughs> just that's all I'm asking. Just pick up my call and talk to me. I said, Brad, I'll always do that to you. <laughs> Fast forward 10 years later, Brad Stevens is the head coach of the Boston, Boston Celtics, Celtics. Right? Yeah. And then I go up to him because Boston, I played Minnesota about four or five years ago in, in Montreal. So I go into the locker room and I said, Brad, he says, Pete, what's up, man? How you doing? I said, Brad, I got one favor to ask you. He goes, What's that? I said, you're big time now, man. You're the coach of the Boston Celtics. When I call you, can you pick up the call, please? And he started That's laughing. Funny. He goes, I told you that. Oh, so you see how life is? Yeah. Be nice to people. Don't burn bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a small community. Let's get Montreal and Quebec yeah, to yeah. where we belong. And let's do it all together as a community. Okay, yeah, for sure. I really appreciate your time on here. Like I said in the beginning, you know, 
every time we did a show after we got we got some messages from people trying to get peter on get peter on we're like don't, don't worry we're gonna do it we're gonna we, we had to get you you know and and for real like i said you paved the way for quebec basketball and it's it's just wonderful to hear you went from i guess going playing basketball in sec two to where you are now it's 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 the story's crazy you know you, can, you can't make it up you know so it's just i just want anyone listening out there that like it's insane how basketball could do so much for you. You know, I mean, just your story itself told told everything. So I really appreciate your time on here and talking to us. Hey guys, like I said, uh, very fortunate. The game has been good to me. Uh, and, you know, don't ever cheat the game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you guys know that, right? If you cheat the game, uh, the game will know. So just keep working hard. Same thing to you guys and anybody that out there. You could do whatever you want. You really can because you can become – uh, you know, a hockey player that started playing basketball at Sec Two to to be able to do some of the things that I'm doing now, but uh, it's it's been it's been a heck of a ride, and let's mm-hmm. keep it going, man. Mm-hmm. Merci, man. Merci. Uh, je sais que tu parles pas à beaucoup de monde, mais pas que tu parles pas à beaucoup de monde, mais comme tu as pas drop des jours à euh, n'importe qui, so juste le fait que tu as accepté quand je t'ai on t'a demandé, c'est merci beaucoup, man. I'm forever grateful and just personnes qui vont apprendre de ces interviews là, que ce soit des coachs, referees, que ce soit des joueurs, n'importe qui, des GM, n'importe qui. Donc merci encore d'avoir accepté l'invitation. Kenny, Kenny, écoute, uh, t'es un gars de HP, right? You know. Uh, on, on s'est parlé, je t'ai dit, écoute, viens à Champlain, ça va changer ta vie. Mm-hmm. Uh, ça va changer ta vie sur le terrain, puis à l'extérieur du terrain. Uh, tu étais un de nos grands joueurs. Tu étais un gars de poste. Tu étais devenu un gars comme un Kobe, où ça de l'offense était <laughs> sur toi. Right? You know, that's it, that's it. <laughs> ah, I told him that. You see, uh, get him at the elbow, let him go to work. Uh, you know, post up, smaller guys, take the big guys à l'extérieur. Puis là, Kenny, tu as travaillé tellement fort. Uh, you know, tu as eu de l'adversité, mais tu étais un des grands joueurs uh, de notre programme à Champlain, des, un des grands joueurs à Québec. Écoute, Cape Breton, you know, one mm-hmm. of the greats to play there. Tu sais, Ottawa U, tu as eu tellement une belle carrière. Mais pour moi, quand tu m'as demandé ça, j'ai toujours dit oui tout de suite. Puis c'est pas juste, you know, c'est, c'est le brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Puis, tu sais, non, Seth aurait dû venir à, à Champlain aussi. On l'aime <laughs> toujours. There's no problem with that, big Seth. <laughs> But uh, no, no, see, yeah. you guys, félicitations, continuez, you guys are working hard. Uh, you donner. you're mm-hmm. seeing the paving the way, but you guys are paving the way for different things. Anything mm-hmm. you need, you always got it from me. All right, thanks, man. So oui, Papa. Yeah. <laughs> to everyone listening, don't forget to subscribe. Once again, I'm Seth Amore with Kenny Jean-Louis, and stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>